and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Sunday evening. Joining me from Austin, Texas, is Kirk Goldsberry. Hello, Kirk. Hello, Brian. It's good to see you. How are you doing tonight? Good, thank you. We're back in the flow of things after a little bit of an off schedule last week. Hope you guys enjoyed our pods. I did a podcast, a crossover podcast with CJ McCollum, Kirk, and within 12 hours, he was um, on the uh, in health and safety protocols. Well, hopefully it was a remote podcast, Brian, and you're safe and sound there in Omaha. It was remote. I feel great. But yet again, the curse on my pod continues. <laughs> and we'll be talking about the Indiana Pacers on this podcast. That's right. I'm saying it right up front. And they lost by 14 points already today. So good luck to anybody who we discuss. First up, the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> Always <laughs> a it. favorite topic on this pod. You know how much I love talking about them. But they've won five out of six games. Um, they have gotten back to seven and eleven, which you know, not long ago before this stretch, um, they were two and ten, uh, buried two and ten. Uh, they've dealt with injuries to LeBron, and they missed Anthony Davis with an injury on Saturday night. Kirk, did you see Anthony Davis nearly severely hurt himself trying to help LeBron up on Friday night in San Antonio? It was it was a scary moment, and it was like a classic Anthony Davis moment. Uh, he, it, it was a scary. It was scary. anybody anybody That's a scary moment. It didn't look good, um, but yeah. What can you say about that? <laughs> so LeBron was on the court. Anthony Davis went to reach up to help pull him up, like you see fifty times a night, yeah. and he slipped. I, I maybe the floor was wet. I don't know. He slipped and he crashed to the floor. <laughs> and LeBron rolled over. He just looked at him. And like in that moment, like, what are you going to say? It was an accident. He slipped and fell, but like AD like screamed in pain. And LeBron looked at him like, you got to be kidding. I'm not saying he was saying that to Anthony. I think he was just like, you got to be kidding me. Like what just happened? Um, and he missed the next game. Now they said he got kicked in his calf. Um, so we'll take that. Uh, he could have hurt his calf on that play. I mean, he fell on the ground. But anyway, the point is LeBron missed five games in that stretch. And uh, they still were winning. AD put up some incredible numbers, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but Kirk, the schedule. Yeah. Like, like I, I want I to acknowledge that the Lakers are playing better because we pounded them when they were playing poorly. The schedule was extremely favorable, but they won that. So. What is your evaluation as you look at the Lakers at 7-11 going into a game Monday night at home against the Pacers? You kind of said it. My take is, in a nutshell, they're the hottest team in the G League right now, if you look at their last. <laughs> if you, and I yeah. could say this at, at the expense of my beloved San Antonio Spurs. So, yes, the Lakers have won five of their last six games. That's good. I mean, they needed this. They're 7-11 now. That's good. You can't complain. All jokes aside. They've started to score the ball, but you also can't ignore the fact that three of those wins came against the Spurs, who are arguably the worst defense and the worst offense in the NBA right now. Uh, an additional win came against the Pistons, who have the worst record in the Eastern Conference. So, yes, two things. They've won five of their last six, but also, Brian, they won five of their last 11. Um, That's true. If, if we're splitting it up, before Anthony missed that game, he was playing the best basketball we've seen from him all year. And he's the guy in his prime right now. 
he's always been the one that a lot of us have pointed to for this season, being like, it's your turn, dude. You need to step it up. Uh, and if I'm if I'm a, a glass half full guy, Brian, right now, I'm saying, oh, my God, AD is is picking it up. Uh, he is averaged, I think, over 33 points in this six game stretch. He stopped shooting the three. Thank the Lord. It's, it's good news. He's attacking. He's being more physical. Um, but but he's playing the best basketball we've seen from him in a while. Uh, and then the other side of his LeBron wasn't out there. And they're getting three-point shooting, which is the other thing this team has desperately missed all year long. Right. We're seeing players like Lonnie Walker and Austin Reeves start to make a lot of threes. If that's for real, they're going to be better. Um, I'm skeptical. You know, Lonnie, I don't think is going to shoot 50% the rest of the year like he has recently. Austin Reeves, nice shooter. But I think those are the things to watch with this team. And on the one hand, Anthony's been great. Uh, but is this shooting we're seeing in this little hot stretch against these poor teams uh, sustainable? I'm not so sure about that one. Yeah. So let me go over a few things. Uh, what's going on with the Lakers? So um, you mentioned three of the three of the wins were over the Spurs. One of the wins over the Pistons. The other one was over the Nets. Um, you know, the Nets had that West Coast road trip where they beat the Clippers good, lost the Lakers bad, blown out by the Kings very bad, beat the Blazers before Dame Lillard got hurt. It was a weird road trip. So, you know, but, you know, that is the best win, although none of those teams are, are the Nets above 500? They're um, close. I think they're just a game under. I don't want to. Okay. It, it was before Kyrie had, had come back. Um, so in this stretch of six games, they ranked seventh offensively, which remember they were dead last when they were two and 10. Uh, that's saying something. And a big reason is because they went from 30th and three point shooting just, you know, you know, 30% they were making 30% flat. I think maybe it was like 30.1%. In this stretch of six games in the league, they are uh, 13th in three point shooting at almost 37%, which, you know, it doesn't seem like it's a huge jump, but it makes a huge difference. If you make three or four uh, more threes in a game, you know, just do the math on, on what it would, what it would count there. So, um, you know, and they, they have played good defense throughout the season. If there's one reason, um, although they've yo-yoed, they've had stretches where they struggled. But if there's one reason that you think that the that the Lakers could somehow make some sort of long-term run, you would say it's because they defend, and um, uh, they are defending. They they were they've been top top five, top ten at least for most most of the season. And in this stretch of six games, Kirk, they're fourth in defense, and so they're they are defending. And you know they did get healthier in this stretch because they got Dennis Schroeder and Thomas Bryant back and having Thomas Bryant back to be uh, a guy they can play reliably at five uh, to ease the burden a little bit. Anthony Davis, I do think has been a factor. The other thing you mentioned him not shooting three, uh, three pointers. You're absolutely right. In that six game stretch, he didn't play um, in the last game against the Spurs, but I'll go back to the previous five games where they were four and one with him. He had three games where he didn't even attempt a three at all. But the other part of this is getting to the foul line. To me, like, you can tell how Anthony Davis is doing. Like, how, is he getting to the line? Because this is a great free throw shooter. He had one game where he was 18 of 21 at the line. Another game where he was 15 of 16. Another game recently where he was 8 of 11. That's Anthony Davis being the bully that uh, you know he can be. And you mentioned he's averaging, he was averaging 33 points in that stretch. He scored 30 points in all, every game, 37, 38, 30, 37. 25 in the last win over San Antonio, which I think was a little lopsided. And he, he wasn't needed as much. So 
Um, like that's all tangible stuff. And then, you know, you look at LeBron James, LeBron came back and he had a remarkable game. He's Kirk. You've been yeah. to a couple of games. LeBron has played pretty well in San Antonio. Yeah. Um, he's had some games in that building. So he had a 39 point game on Saturday night against the Spurs. They played two games against the Spurs Friday and Saturday. And um, he coming into the game, he was shooting 69% from the free throw line. Nice. Um, well done. And he went 10 of 10. Yeah. Uh, 10 of 10 in that game at the free throw line. He came into the game shooting 24% from three, his lowest since his rookie year. Might have been his lowest ever. I didn't actually look that up. I'm going to take a look real quick. Uh, you know, he had missed some time, so it wasn't a huge sample size, but I think it was like the lowest since his rookie year. And he goes seven of 12 on three in that game. So he had sort of a, a progression to the mean type performance. Let's see, his rookie year, he shot 29% from three. That has been his career low. So he was shooting significantly even under his career worst 20 years ago. Um, so, you know, you could say he was more than due for a comeback. So you say to yourself, like, this is tangible. You mentioned the other guys shooting. The thing about it is, Kirk, I, when the Lakers were 2-10, and 10, I did not believe they were a 2-10 team. I do not yeah, think they were a 10-2 right. team. I, they were underperforming at 2-10, and 10, and now they are, because of their schedule, overperforming. And so the real question is here, what are they? They're not 2-10, and 10, and they're not 5-1. and one. What are they? There's still a path. There's still a path, I think, Brian, for them to become at least a a play-in team. Excuse me. I think one of the things that I saw, if you're going to build a team with athletes like they've done, you want to out-physical your opponents. That means defense. That's been good. Uh, Another thing in the stretch is they're getting to the free-throw line a lot more. If you can't out-shoot your opponents, you've got to get to the line. And their free-throw rate over the last six games is awesome. Anthony Davis is the leader and sort of the epitome of that. At his worst, he's passive. He settles for those mid-range jump shots, three-point shots. At his best, he plays more like Giannis and gets fouled and gets to the line, sinks those free throws. Another thing you mentioned there that I think is also important to this path forward for the Lakers is Thomas Bryant and Dennis Schroeder. Those are real NBA players. Those are big-time additions to this rotation that weren't there in that 2-10 and ten start. Uh, in all fairness to the Lakers, their rotation is more complete now, even without LeBron. The, the addition of those guys, especially uh, Schroeder as a guard and, and Brian as a rebounder and other physical force, uh, is helping this team. Um, I am still skeptical that they can compete with the top of the Western Conference, um, but I think what we're seeing over the last six games could sustain if they can get a little bit more shooting. Um, and this rotation is complete, Brian. I, I still think it's it's a borderline sort of cuspy play-in team, the Los Angeles Lakers. I think that's where this goes. Right. Depending on, depending, of course, what they do potentially in the trade market, which a lot of people are going to be talking about over the next 24 hours because they're playing the Pacers on Monday night. Um, I don't really want to talk about it here. It's been talked about ad nauseum, but we do, we can't acknowledge that there's a possibility that exists that they will be able to make the trade and like look i mean there are teams out there right now that potentially could decide to hit the blow up button at the middle of the year and the the, the thing that they have with westbrook is they have a guy who can clean another team's salary cap off and you know um i don't want to get caught in speculation here but i've talked about some of the teams that could look to do that and so you know while westbrook 
is doing better as well, for sure. He settled into this six-man role and he is, you know, been more of a contributor than a detractor. Um, I still think it's rough to keep him out there in a close game at times because you don't have to guard him, but we don't have to go down that path. Westbrook, a Westbrook trade is still there. It may not be the Westbrook home run trade. It may not be the Westbrook and two picks trade, but Westbrook still exists as a $47 million expiring contract. And, you know, while there are interesting, you know, you could get the whiteboard out and build some interesting opportunities um, for the Lakers um, in, um, in free agency next year. I mean, you could like start to dream about stuff, but realistically, if the Lakers could make a Westbrook trade where they didn't have to give up both picks or didn't have to give up either pick and they could use Westbrook as a salary filler in a trade and they could take some players back. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that the Lakers have had issues with in recent years, they have, they, they don't have much to trade because they traded away all of their assets in the Westbrook trade. They haven't had much to trade. And if they go into free agency this off season, like let's just say they hold on to Westbrook, and his money expires, they still don't have much to trade. You know, they still don't have, um, you know, players on their roster that makes a salary that you could put a trade together to. So, you know, if they could do a trade where they were able to get some pieces back and they could help them a little bit this year and also give them, you know, uh, assets to work with in a potential down the road maneuver where you didn't have to give the picks, that's something they could do too. So when you, when you look at that outlook, and you say what you project them as, it's still kind of hard to read. But I do think it's important to point this out. Um, their upcoming schedule. So they play the Pacers, who are 11 and 8. They had won 5 of 6 before the loss to the Clippers on, um, on Sunday. We'll talk about the Pacers in a minute. Then Wednesday, they play Portland at home. I don't have an update on Dame Lillard. I don't know if I would doubt he's back. I think they were said... He was looking at one to two weeks with that calf injury, and I think we're right in that zone. I haven't heard him practicing yet. So I don't know about Dame for Wednesday. Maybe, maybe not. And then it gets really, really brutal. I mean, already Pacers and Blazers are two of the best teams they've played in in three weeks. They leave on a six-game road trip, Kirk, at Milwaukee, at Washington, who right now is a top-six team in the Eastern Conference, at Cleveland. You know that game will always be spicy. The Cavs, I believe, are 13-7. and seven. Uh, They've lost twice in Milwaukee in the last 10 days, kind of serving notice to where they rank, but still uh, they have an excellent home record. That's not going to be easy, and that is um, uh, always an interesting game for LeBron. Then the second night of back-to-back, they go to Toronto and play the Raptors. Raptors are about to get a lot healthier. It looks like mm-hmm. Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes will be back in the next few days. Who knows? I mean, that's Two, it's a, you know, it's 10 days from now, but you know, that's the second night of a back to back in Toronto. Good luck there. Then they go to Philadelphia and then they go to Detroit, which is the quote unquote easy game, but it's the sixth game of the trip. Um, so that's that road trip. Then they come home and they play the Boston Celtics. And then right after that play <coughs> the Denver Nuggets. So their next 10 games are brutal. Yeah. And where they are after those 10 games, uh, I think we might have be able to have a more substantial conversation. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. 
And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. It's going to be very tough, and I think this road trip they're going to be they're going to be yearning for three games against the Spurs when they're when they're done with it. <clears throat> but I, they're not going to get them. And I think you know you've taught me a lot about LeBron James over the last few years. They backload his schedule. The second half of this team schedule is is is, un, is undoubtedly loaded too. Uh, I don't foresee them having a good road trip. To be blunt, I, I don't think this team is ready to go into places like. Milwaukee and Toronto and win those games. Uh, but if they do, they can change their season around. I, I also want to sort of circle back to that, that trade talk. I do believe the Schroeder and Bryant additions to this rotation are significant. And when I think about Westbrook, Brian, I think about a potential another two other good rotation pieces coming back. Famously, it's been those Indiana two guys, right? It's been Heald and Turner. Um, I don't know if that's what it ends up being, but if Anthony Davis can play like he's been playing and LeBron James is still LeBron James, you have Schroeder, you have Bryant, and you can get two more competent players. That's a real NBA team. That's a great team, potentially, if you do it right. Um, I think the devil's in the details with that Westbrook stuff. If they can get two good perimeter shooter, three and D type guys somehow, that's what this team needs. That's a lot to ask, but that's the kind of team that could go on such a road trip right now and come back with a few wins, maybe four or five of the next 10 wins at least. Uh, Cause as presently constructed, I am still very doubtful that this exact team can go and win in those gyms on the East coast. I just don't see that happening, Brian. Um, yeah. And so that's just, I talked about their first half of their schedule in December, the second half. Um, uh, is not quite as bad, but it's rough. So let, so let me tell you, they do come home after that. I told you they played the uh, the Celtics and Nuggets. They leave, though there's a, there's a window for them to come home on Christmas Eve, but they leave on December 18th for a brutal holidays road trip. Mm-hmm. I mean, typically teams that have to go on the road on December 25th, Again, I'll say typically, because I've covered a number of these teams over the years, typically they get you home shortly after that. Um, 
And even if it's a, even if it's an east to west trip where you know somebody's going to the other coast, they typically will try to give you games bleeding up to Christmas and make that the last game of the road trip so you can get out. They try to do, you know, the right uh, thing. But the Lakers, this is rough. So they leave on a road trip December 18th, and they are gone until um, New Year's Eve. And like I said, they could squeeze home here, but they they go to Sacramento. I'm sorry, yeah. to Phoenix. Not easy. To Sacramento, light the beam. Not easy. I take that back. They, they, I, they take that back. I, I misread this. They, they did that road trip. Then they play the Charlotte at home so they can be home for um, Christmas Eve. So I take that back. They play on the 23rd. Then they leave Christmas Day at Dallas, um, then at Orlando, at Miami, at Atlanta, at Charlotte. Five-game road trip over the new year. I, I switched my Charlotte games in my head there. Um, it's just a brutal, it's a brutal month. It's just a brutal month. So um, they could play really, really good, solid basketball in that stretch of, of, of games. So that that's 13 road games basically in December. They could play really, really well and go, you know, four and nine, you know, like that's yeah. And like so they go five talking. a night. They may be like, well, we did okay. Um, and so that's just the reality with the Lakers. Like, I think you both say they've, they've, they've rounded into form. They, they found a workable way with Westbrook. Their three point shooting has improved. AD is playing great. LeBron is back healthy. I think you can say all of those things. And I think you can say like, Oh my God, where are they going to be one month from now? Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why if you're the Lakers front office, you may see where you are a month from now before you consider right. starting to throw in everything in a trade. Um, regardless of what people might say about a possible, you know, revisiting the Pacers trade in the next 24 hours. Um, so speaking of the Pacers, uh, they had a rough loss today. You know, um, this last week, Kirk, there was a, a rumor that got out there and I wish I could tell you who reported it. And I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not. For, I'm not sure. I think it was. Well, I don't even want to say. I think. Uh, so I don't want to get it. But it was a. It was a rumor that got out there that the Clippers might have some interest in Miles Turner. We know Miles Turner has been on and off the block over a while. Although, I don't. I think the Pacers wouldn't mind keeping him on an extension at some at some number. But it did get out there in the last week that you know the Clippers were attached to Miles Turner in a possible trade talk. Um, it doesn't really matter how legitimate that is. But I'll bet Avicia Zubac heard about that. As you'd imagine, he would hear about it if you were the starting center on your team and you heard that, that, that your team might trade for another starting center. Um, and it might enter your mind when you would play that center in a couple of days, as happened on Sunday. And Avicia Zubac had the game of his career. He had 31 points and 29 rebounds for the Clippers against Miles Turner and the Pacers. And the, the Pacers, who won five to six, had that um, <laughs> little streak snapped. Um, however, uh, Kirk, I do want to talk about the Pacers. They are 11 and eight. 
Um, they are a team that at the start of the season, people thought were going to be tanking for Victor Wimbayama, possibly, although they've never been a tanking organization. It still was entered the mind. And when the concept that they would trade Russell Westbrook for trade for Russell Westbrook for two of their top four or five players, I couldn't disagree that at least it entered their thinking that that's the direction they were going to go. But instead, they've been terrific. I'll talk about some of the things I've seen. What are some of the things that you've seen from the Pacers to this point? I think I want to just zoom out and be like, remember when this team had the lowest expected win total in the NBA starting the season, according to the odds makers. They were there with with my Spurs uh, as a team, I think, expected to win somewhere between 21, 22, 24 games. Like, they're halfway there, and we're not even past uh, November. <laughs> so, you know, I think you just start with that. Nobody saw this coming. And before we say they're not a contender or whatever, we can just celebrate a couple of things. Wow, they're, they're, they're one of the biggest surprises, like the Kings we talked about last time I was on here. They're sort of like the Kings of the East. They're doing great. Uh, but also, if I'm a Pacers fan, Brian, I am thrilled in the same way if that if I was a Cavs fan last year. We, we, we're at that stage of our growth arc where we're going from nobody expected anything of us so, oh, that maybe there's something here. That's where we are. And that's something in Indiana is one of the best young backcourts in pro basketball. Uh, and this is a, a league where success more than ever is driven by backcourt stars. And Kevin Pritchard in the Indiana Pacers front office has suddenly built a team with Tyrese Halliburton, who I'm sure we're going to talk about, and Benedict Matherin, who I'm sure we're going to talk about. And just stop there because that is in November of 2022. That's a 20-year-old and a 22-year-old who both look like future all-stars in the backcourt. And if you go back a year and talk about the Pacers, they couldn't have said that. Uh, and now they're sitting here with one of the best young backcourts in the league. And I'm not sure where this is going this year. But that's almost not the point with this team. This team is built for a long-term success. And I think that's the story, Brian. I, I think the Pacers are one of the best sort of future stories in the league, too. Yeah, so um, I want to talk about the last four significant transactions that the front office of the Pacers have done, sort of dating back to uh, last year's trade deadline. Um, the front office, Pacers are front office, Kevin Pritchard is their president. He's been there for a long time. I don't even know, 10, 12 years. Um, Chad Buchanan is their general manager, has a big say. Um, well, their lead scout, I would think I would say. And then Rick Carlisle, the head coach, gets a say in personnel matters. Um, so I'm going to credit all three of them. Um, so go back and take a look at what they did. Uh, first, they did the Halliburton trade which we've talked about, I've talked about a lot on this podcast because I think Demata Sabonis has been unfairly, you know, undervalued in that trade. People were like, oh my God, I can't believe they got Halliburton. Um, I think Sabonis is an excellent player. I don't think he's headed for the Hall of Fame, but he's an all-star. And um, Sacramento has rebounded and played very well with him. And he's the driving force and the best offense in the league right now. So, but the other thing about that trade is they got Buddy Heald in that trade. And 
Buddy Heald is a good player. We can debate about whether Buddy Heald is the type of player that got the contract he got from Sacramento, but the guy is averaging 18 points and shooting 39% on three. And that's after a slump. He, he was shooting in the, the mid to high forties before a slump. Um, he's definitely a very effective player um, and a valued player. And he, they got him in that deal too. <laughs> he, he, that is not a throw in. You know, he is, you know, th- that is their second highest score. And, you know, you know, 40% of their starting lineup in that trade for Sabonis. So um, that's one transaction. Then they did a smaller deal a couple of days later where they acquired Jalen Smith from the um, Celtics. I'm sorry, from the Pacers. I'm sorry. That's why I get ahead of myself. The Pacers acquired Jalen Smith from the Suns for basically for Torrey Craig. And they also got a second round pick in that deal. And the Suns were giving up on this guy. This guy was a lottery pick three years ago. They didn't pick up his option for his third year, and they basically just were getting rid of him. Well, he isn't playing like a lottery pick, so to speak, and um, that's fine. But he is averaging 10 and 7. Last year, I think he averaged like 13 and 8 after the trade. And they signed him to a three-year $15 million contract. I think the third year is a player option. But still, they're paying him for like $0.8 million this year. He is their starter at four and he's a very effective player that was a win in that trade i mean they they would present a case that they didn't actually tank and they would say that halliburton kept playing and all that stuff but they tanked at the end of this season and they had their first they had their highest pick since 1989 and they connected on it you know the 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 tanking rule book is that you need to get multiple bites at the apple um multiple opportunities to um, to, 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 to draft a difference-making player in the, in the top 10. They had one in 30 years or whatever, and they hit it in Ben Matherin. He looks like an absolute foundational piece going forward. And so now you look at this roster, and you know I'll yield to you what you think of Halliburton in a second, Kirk. We look at this roster. They have two rookies that they really like in Matherin and a guy they drafted in the second round, Andrew Nemhard, who looks like he could be a serviceable um, backup point guard. And he's, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's a rookie, you know, he's a rotation player. They have two second year players. They really like because they feel like they did great in the 2021 draft. They drafted Chris, Chris Duarte, who's been out most of the year with a bad ankle injury, but you remember him. He's an older guy. He's in his mid twenties. Um, but Duarte was one of the better rookies last year. I, I don't know if he made the old rookie team. I should have looked that up, but. Certainly, um, you know, a guy who's going to be, a, 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 you know, a key rotational backcourt player. Plus, they really like this guy they got with a second first-round pick that they had last year, Isaiah Jackson, who's a 6'10 um, uh, power forward, who is a rotation player right now and is, um, um, I think, only 20 years old. I don't think he's even 21 yet. He went to uh, Kentucky, I believe. And then they have these third-year players in Halliburton, and uh, Jalen Smith, who again is uh, you know a, a guy with size, and of course Halliburton, who's got a chance to be an All Star this year. Um, they that's six guys in their third year or younger um, mm-hmm. that they are building with this team right now, and they've got a couple other guys on the roster, you know, like like Aaron Neesmith, who they got in the Brogdon trade. And that's the other thing. The Brogdon trade. That's the other transaction I want to talk about. In and of itself, it was a salary dump trade. 
Um, and we really can't judge what they got in that trade until we see what they do with the salary cap space. They tried to use the salary cap space on DeAndre Ayton, but uh, the Suns matched that contract. Um, imagine this team with Ayton right now because they'd have probably traded Miles Turner. But um, so that's not completely done yet. They did get a first-round pick from the Celtics, so probably be a low pick next year, but or this year or next summer. Bobby Marks pointed this out when he was talking about the, this trade. They didn't just trade Brogdon. They traded, um, you know, a space to let their backcourt play. They wanted to open up room for Matherin and Halliburton and Duarte. You know, they knew they were going to have this backcourt rotation. And so that, and, and Halliburton and Matherin are great. Matherin, by the way, is averaging 19 points. Uh, we've talked about him in the pod. He's shooting forty-two percent from three, which is just awesome for a rookie, and shooting eighty-one percent from the line, getting to the line seven times a game. And Halliburton is averaging twenty points. He's leading the league at eleven plus assists per game, five rebounds, two steals. I mean, that's just terrific. Plus, he's a great free throw shooter. Um, his assist to turnover ratio is eleven to three. So, um, all right, sorry. I- I, I monopolized there, Kirk. I just wanted to sort of go over my file on the Pacers. And look, they are right now at the beginning of their longest road trip in 36 years. It started with the Clippers and they played the Lakers. They may take it on the chin. By the time they get back to Indianapolis in 10 or 12 days, they may be 500 or less. So I, I and I recognize that now, even though I've jinxed some people on this pod this year. Um, I just want to recognize that the Pacers are doing well and they are trending in the, in the right direction. Trending in the right direction. I think like we just talked about, you know, they're, they're winning games with defense playing smart and they're young and they're cheap relatively in their core. Uh, I think Halliburton is the key. And last time I was on your show, Brian, we talked extensively about the Sacramento Kings with Spears and Sabonis seems to be a, a fit there and, and Fox seems to be having his best year. So so credit, this might be a case where both teams benefit significantly from a, from a trade like this. Um, and now let's talk about the Pacers side of it, because I do think Halliburton is a bright, shining light. Um, remember when the, the Beatles went on Ed Sullivan and all the teenage gals went crazy, Brian? And, it was uh, not around. Maybe you were, but I, I oh, of course I was around. I mean, we turned on the old black and white television <laughs> in the living room and uh, but in all seriousness, that's what all the draft model guys around the league, including our own Kevin Pelton, were, were screaming about when Halliburton came through that, that pandemic draft uh, in 2020. Uh, the dude modeled so well, and he did nothing but confirm those nerdy hunches in his first year or two in the league in Sacramento uh, before getting traded. And and now I think I think it was Tom Haverstraw, our old friend, who had a tweet comparing his numbers through his first three years to Chris Paul. And you know he's not the defender that Chris was, but dude, everything else is eerily similar. I mean, this guy is the best young shot creator in pro basketball. That's it. He leads the league in assists. If you want to go through the conventional metric. He leads the league in assists. But when I look at his stats, there are all these other shot creation metrics that he's creating over 26 shots a game for the Pacers. Those lead to 29 wow. points a yeah. game. 
for his team. Uh, in addition to this, the points he scores. So he's, he's, when you look at the shots he creates, he's unusually great at creating three point looks for his teammates. And then when you look at him as a scorer himself, Brian, he's able to create very smart, very good shots for himself. Uh, among the, the league's top 50 unassisted scorers, he's sixth in efficiency right now. He's an offensive machine, uh, and, and, and the Pacers are good to have him. He's a foundation. I think that him and Matherin, like I just said, are, are the best young backcourt in the league. Grizzlies an old backcourt. I guess in terms of this, they are. They are old. They are too old. The, they're, the they're Cavs, I, I'll do respect. I do love the Cavs, as you know. Uh, Garland and Mitchell, <laughs> not exactly old. There's some other candidates here, but I'm talking about a 20-year-old and a 22-year-old. Uh, right. Pacers fans should be, I'm just, be I'm just thrilled. Yeah, yeah, it's fair. Well, well you have a piece that's, that has come out, I believe, Monday when this podcast posts where you're examining the candidates that could be first-time All-Stars this year. And I haven't read it yet. But I have a guess that you might think that Tyrese Halliburton should squeeze on the Eastern Conference team there. I mean, they're, they're top half of the East, and he's, he leads the league in assists. I mean, it, if you lead the league in assists, generally you're in the game. And uh, if your team's pretty good, you're in the game. So, yeah, he's in there. But there's somebody else that I think is ahead of him in terms of these all-star debuts. A lot of these guys, Brian, have something in common, and I'll, I'll talk about thematically real quick. Some of these teams are big surprises. They're small market teams, players that are having sort of breakout years in these small markets. But nobody fits that description better than a guy in Oklahoma City, uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, who let's just let's just call it what it is. He's one of the best scorers in the league right now. Uh, and yes. he's never made the all-star game. And we can go through some numbers. But this dude is an all-star at least. He should probably be starting the game. I'll give you just like a basic stat that we dug up on the research. That it, it's like, hold on, let me get it. Out of 62 players that have, have averaged at least 30 points a game prior to the all-star break in NBA history, 60 made the all-star game. 54 of those started it. The only two that didn't make it were Wilt in 1970 and Dantley in 83. And both those guys had injury issues in those seasons. So statistically, SGA should be the starting. Wait a minute. Just a 30 second timeout. Will in 1970? Yeah. Let me look this up. That's what, that's what my research, my, you know. Not, the, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just want to learn about how Wilt didn't make the team. Maybe he said, I don't want, I don't <coughs> want to make it. No, I think he only played nine games or something. But even still, but I mean, I mean, you know. I don't know what the rules were back then. Well, I'm just looking it up. 1970. Yeah, he played 12 games the whole year. He may not have even physically been able to play in the game. Okay, I, I don't know the history there. I could have worded it better, uh, but no, no, I just it's. Uh, I mean, the guy like never, ever, ever missed games. <laughs> he played 82 <laughs> the next three seasons. Um, this, he's he's the ultimate annoying stat guy, isn't he? He always <laughs> screws everything up. Even the Zubach, the Zubach stat line from earlier, I was like, yeah, Wilt, Wilt did that, you know, 10 times or whatever, but uh, 20, averaged that for a season, famously. Right. Uh, but, um, yeah, SGA, simply put, is should probably start the All-Star game. He's never even made it, but that's how good his scoring numbers are, and there's some deeper stuff in there, Brian. But... 
the last guy to go 50, 40, 90 and score like, is compete for a scoring crown in, in Oklahoma City. I think we all know who that was. Uh, and that's the kind of season this guy is having. It, it is a 24 year old. He's not old. Um, and look, one thing that I've thought about, and I didn't write this in the piece, but I have it considered. Maybe you have a, a thought on it. It's like that Paul George trade, pretty good for the Thunder, huh? Well, it's one of those things we don't know how good it's going to be until it all plays out. But, um, you know, the if you asked five people, I don't, I don't, I don't know if people thought that Shea Gildas Alexander was going to be this good. And again, I'm sure there are people who are on some sort of record saying, "No, no, he's going to be the, he's going to be a superstar." Yeah, I don't know if he's a superstar, but he's going to be like, you know first or second team all nba type player like i don't remember people saying that i remember people saying boy do we really like this guy he's six six plays both ends of the court has great fundamentals has great growth opportunity like i i remember that being the prime piece of the trade like as much as all those picks that the thunder absolutely wanted him like that's all true but part of it is a Oklahoma City development story. Like part of it is that he got there and they've maximized him. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with vivid seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Considering what the what the Clippers were giving up and how excited they were in that moment, I'm not sure how hard they thought about it, and I'm not so sure that they evaluated him to be this type of player. If there were people in the Clippers organization who didn't want to make the the trade the terms, I think it was probably related to the swaps and the picks. Yeah, no, that's totally to, fair. Not we to can't mention... give up Shea Gilders Alexander. <laughs> Yeah, so, not to mention, I think Kawhi wanted Paul there as well, uh, if if the reports are true. So. No, no, of course, that's true. But it's like, um, yeah, obviously, they were getting both players. That's why they paid for it. But, um, like, I wonder how long, you know, I, I, I don't know for sure, but I doubt there was hours of haggling over whether Shea was going to be in the trade <laughs> or not. No, think, he's ex- you know, the, the haggling. Nobody yeah. saw it coming. And just a, a couple other numbers that just sort of when I was doing the research for the piece to contextualize how how active he's been. He has through 19 games, he has a higher usage rate than LeBron, Durant, Stephen Curry. Like he is their go to guy. Make no mistake. He is one of the biggest centerpieces of any offense in the league right now. And when he's in the game, 
the Thunder scoring almost 115 points per 100, which would rank eighth in the league, I think, at the team level. When he's out, uh, he they're only scoring 102.6, which would be the worst in the league. So he's he's making things happen, and he's one of the most active and diverse young guards in the league. Not only can he he drives the ball more than anybody in the league right now, uh, and he's able to create his own buckets and buckets for his teammates in so many different ways. But really the number that is, is led to his breakout season is he's gone from one of the worst volume jump shooters in the league, Brian, to an average jump shooter. I'm not going to sit here and write a fairy tale about it. He's a great jump shooter now. Uh, but last season he was 95th out of the league's most 100, 100 most active jump shooters in terms of efficiency. This year he's 52nd and he's average. Uh, and he also can shoot everywhere on the court. Uh, and that's a really unique thing. He's got a really deep bag of tricks. And again, I mentioned he's, he's flirting with 50, 40, 90 numbers. So efficiency is there. He's only 24. And we're talking 50, 40, 90, and 30 points a game. That's an all-star. That's all you need to say. All right. So let me tell you the Durant stats in the MVP season. He actually had slightly better shooting stats than the year before where LeBron won his last MVP. But in 2014, 13-14, when Durant won the MVP, he averaged 32 points, which led the league. Shot 50% from the field, um, 39% from three, and 87% from the line. Obviously, the Thunder were terrific that season. Um, he played 81 games. The year before, which... You know, he won four scoring titles in five years. This is the year he actually didn't win it. But um, the year before, 2012-13, we're talking about his absolute prime prime in terms of stats because when he went to Golden State, he took a step back, um, obviously. He put, put up these numbers can, more, but that happened. Um, he averaged 28 points, shot 51% overall, 42% from three, and 91% from the line. That was the... 50, 40, 90 year that you mentioned. So keep those numbers in mind. And now I'm going to tell you what Shea is, shoot, is doing at the time of this podcast. 31 points, 52% from the field, 36% from three-point range, 92% from the line. So you're talking about a guy who was MVP and runner-up MVP in back-to-back years there, regarded as an all-time great um, rightfully so. And Shea's numbers are basically right with him. Now that Thunder team was awesome. They were winning a bunch of games. They were a championship contender. Um, you know, they, uh, you know, the year after that, uh, they, they took the, the warriors to, you know, to the, to the brink, uh, before he left. You can't really, it's not quite apples to apples, but at the same time, what you're, the point you're making here is that if you're talking about the all-time great performance in Thunder history, it would be Durant um, with Westbrook's triple-double seasons behind it. But like Shea's right there with Durant's great years in Oklahoma City. All right, who else made your list of, t- of uh, guys who you think have a shot? Again, at, one of the themes All-Star? here <clears throat> we talked about last week, the beam team. The, the heart and soul of that team is De'Aaron Fox. And again, he's another 24-year-old who is finally putting it all together uh, and is is probably the the most offensive, the best offensive player on the best offense in the Western Conference right now. 
Uh, and, and for years, he's been sort of this, he's had this reputation of being like the fastest guy in the league for a while, Brian, you know that, uh, but he's putting it all together. And I think he's upped his game in terms of scoring, but also inside the arc, he's shooting 60%. And as a three point shooter, he's 39%. De'Aaron Fox, if he's shooting 39% from three, that's a terrifying number for defenses because he can blow by just about anybody who tries to contest his three point shot. Uh, and I think if Sacramento continues to be even close to, to what they've been over the last few weeks, Darren Fox is a no brainer. He's making his first all-star team. Uh, and, and I think that's well-deserved, uh, but I'm curious what, what you think on Fox. And I got a couple more names after that too. Well, you know, the thing about it is, is that making it for the first time is the hardest. And so, you know, historically, the coaches who vote for the reserves historically, when they have to choose between multiple guys, they typically take the guy who's got a, who's either on the higher, more wins or sort of more of a history of winning. Um, you really have to sort of break in and you, you almost, you know, you're, there are a bunch of guys who, who, who are really shaky on making their last all-star team. Uh, whereas they were maybe denied trying to make their first all-star team. Um, and so he would fit squarely into that, um, to be a guy who, um, to make his first all-star team sort of has to knock the door down. So, you know, the vote is in mid to late January. I think the vote comes out like right at the start of February, um, or their names right at the start of February. So there's still a long time, you know, there's still six, seven weeks that Fox is going to have to to, uh, to, to build his case, but um, he certainly, he and this Kings are certainly catching a lot of people, um, you know, you know, they're impressing them. You know, one of the things that's has happened in the last two weeks or so, the jazz are starting to take some losses. Yeah. And part of it is that Mike Conley got hurt and you lose a, a guy like that um, who is so important in close games, you're going to feel it. But part of it is, is it, the jazz aren't sticking up on anybody anymore and teams are getting ready to play them and the, the books out on them and, and um, you know, reality is coming back in a little bit. So can the Kings knock, you know, not, you know, knock that wall over. Can deer and Fox knock that wall over. Yeah. And one, <clears throat> one more point talking about establishing super superstar names. There's, there's quite a few of them to choose from in the Western conference backcourt category. Isn't there? Uh, you know, I don't need to name them all, but uh, names like Curry and Lillard and even, you know, Chris Paul come to mind, whether he can put something together by then or not. But it's going to be hard for people not to choose Chris Paul at this point in his career to be in the all-star game if, if the Suns are still as good as they're looking, even though his numbers might. He's going to have to disrupt some of those, like you say, uh, establishment names. Uh, speaking of the Jazz, another one on the list of course, is is their go-to guy, uh, Laurie Markkinen, who's having his finest year, 22 points a game, um, really been a key part of what Will Hardy's been able to do in Utah. And I think his all-star case is sort of hinged on whether Utah can keep this up a little bit longer or not. And uh, if Yeah, they, I mean, the game is in Utah. <laughs> that, that's all right. Um, Fair point. Uh, you know, but the, but historically the coaches don't, um, necessarily care about that. Uh, 
So I, you know, I've been advocating, um, you know, there's, there's 13, you know, they, they switched from 12 to 13 guys active before the pandemic. And now, um, you know, I, um, you know, the active list is even bigger. Um, but I think that they should go to a 13th player because there's always a guy. Usually there's a guy on, on each side. That's a little banged up. Doesn't want to play that much. Uh, or as a veteran doesn't want to play that much. And so I see no reason why the roster has to stay at 12. And yeah. the re- I, and I know that the reason that that one of the reasons that, that doesn't happen is that there's um, bonuses and contracts yeah. are tied to all-star appearances. And the owners are like, why would I, why would I have, you know, but you know, if you make an all-star, then you have to get paid more money. You know, you, you know, I am an all-star now you must pay me. Um, and so the owners have pushed against it. You know, they don't want there to be an extra all-star, uh, more all-stars, but there should be a 13th all-star on each team. And um, this, this is a classic case where you want it. You would love to be able to give the jazz an all-star. And I don't know if he's going to make the 12, um, you know, where you would, you know, and, and, you know, maybe even make it the commissioner's choice. Um, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, that's a, that's a different um, uh, soapbox <clears throat> podcast. I don't really care that much about it, but I mean, marketing is, is, you know, the, he's, he's been, he's played 22 games now. That's not a joke in terms of a sample size. He's averaging 22 points on 52% shooting. Um, he's averaging a career high eight rebounds. Um, he's got a lot going for him. Started playing well in, in Cleveland, I think, picked it up at Eurobasket as, as a member of the Finland team. And then uh, he's kept that momentum and really fit in with what Will's trying to do in, in Utah as one of the prototypical young stretch bigs in the league. He can shoot, catch and shoot, stretch out a defense, but he can also drive the ball and score very effectively in the paint. He's one of the most efficient volume paint scorers in the league. And, and again, he's young and, and that's, that's good. That said, I think it's an edge case. And, and one more that I think was not an edge case that's becoming an edge case for the wrong reason, unfortunately, is Desmond Bain's case as a member of the Grizzlies. Now, this is a yeah. guy who was out to <laughs> – I didn't see this coming, and it was awesome because I've always loved Bain as as an efficiency fan myself. Uh, Desmond Bain has also <laughs> has, has one – talked about uh, – I forget who we were talking about – great young shooting numbers. Oh, it was Matherin. Yeah, you don't usually become efficient as a three-point shooter early in your career. Uh, but we're starting to see some young guys sort of break that rule. Uh, Matherin, you, you already alluded to. Desmond Bain is already one of the best three-point shooters in the league um, and took it to another level this year, Brian. Started to do stuff off the dribble that I didn't see coming. You know, I always thought his ceiling was Clay Thompson, and that's a hell of a ceiling. But what he was starting to do as an unassisted scorer was stuff that even Clay wasn't doing. Uh, and unfortunately, right when we were starting to get a feel for what he was about to do this year, he he, he hurt his toe and he's he's out for an extended time. But we don't know how how long he's going to miss. But if he if he comes back and get back in the flow, I think he's another one who's who's emerging as as a new All Star in the Western Conference. Yeah. So, you know, he took the jump last year. Uh, you know, John Morant won most improved and famously sent it over to Bain's house or whatever that maneuver was. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Good call. Um, he went from nine points to 18 points a game. Um, 
And, you know, not that it's all about scoring. He obviously gotten has gotten really good as a proven his ability as a defender. And it was like, boy, that's awesome. That's awesome stuff. He's taken it at another level. Now he's out right now with this injury and it's a toe injury. And I get worried about toe injuries because, you know, sprained toes are those the types of injuries that are always re-aggravated. And they, you hear guys talk about it took six months for it to feel right again. doesn't mean he can't come back and be effective, but it's just, you know, it may just affect him a little bit for a while. So I don't know if he can keep it up, but he's averaging 25 this year. So he goes from nine points to 18 to 25 and shooting 45% on threes on nine a game. I mean, 45% on nine threes a game. That's Steph Curry stuff. Yeah. It, it's, it's insane. I don't even think young Steph was near those numbers and I'm, no, not, he's don't, I'm not saying anything. Don't, don't get at I me. Know. And yeah. I also want to say that this is also a terrific young backcourt. <laughs> uh, you know, they're slightly older than the Indiana guys, but don't get me wrong. If I'm a Memphis fan, and you're looking at Jaw and Desmond Bain. That is quite the pairing to build around for years to come. But yeah, I hope that Bain gets back into these games December, January. And, you know, even if he doesn't make the All Star game, we all saw it at the beginning. He was playing at that level. And at very least, the, the Grizzlies should be a major threat going into the playoffs if everybody's healthy. If Bain is at yeah, this level, for sure. I mean, he for is sure. just at a different level than I saw uh, with this guy. A couple other names. I'll just go quickly. Another one, very similar, Maxi, foot injury too. He was about to to have his breakout, and it got derailed by a foot injury, just like Bain. Uh, Anthony Edwards in Minnesota, we had, and Jalen Brunson and, and Paolo Banchero for for the Magic, and one last one, Anthony Simons for the Blazers. Those guys, I think, are less likely. But as you pointed out, Brian. Still a lot of time between now and when those votes really start to pile up and in the, in the final tally goes. So I think there's still a lot of time, but we should have some fresh faces in that All-Star game this year. Yeah, but 20 games in, a good time to take a look at, for sure. So check out that story by Kirk. Thank you, sir, for giving us some time tonight. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Bruce, our producer, who's doing it all tonight because uh, Jackson uh, had the audacity to take tonight off to go to a NFL game. I won't say which one it was because I don't want him how to put his business in the street but it was a significant one so um thank you we'll talk to you uh every talk to everyone later this week